0: Luke, chapter 22, starting at verse 24. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Lord Jesus, we thank you for your teaching as recorded in the Gospels. Help us to hear you speaking to us and to act on what we hear. Amen. This sermon is the last in our series on the first Sunday in the month in 2012, where we've been looking at themes from the teaching of Jesus. I would love to have time to, as it were, summarize the whole thing for you, but there's no time for that. But if you've missed any of the sermons, they're on the church website. The conservative New Testament scholar, David Wenham, subtitled his excellent book on the parables of Jesus, Pictures of a Revolution. Uh, He is not given to hyperbole. But he says it's no exaggeration to sum up Jesus' teaching as a revolutionary manifesto. But a manifesto, of course, needs a plan for implementation, and not least, it needs people. An American friend of ours spent October and November in Washington, D.C., and he was part of the team that was putting together an executive team that would swing into action if Governor Mitt Romney won the presidential election. Of course, he didn't, so all that work was uh, wasted. But they had apparently to identify literally thousands of people to take on the work. And I think actually something similar to that was running through the minds of the disciples in this passage that we've just read. You see, the central concept of Jesus' teaching is the rule or the kingdom of God, and we've seen that through the year. And in our reading from Luke's Gospel, we reach the culmination of Jesus' ministry, if you like, his revolutionary campaign. We have his triumphal entry into Jerusalem in chapter 19. We have his confrontation with the religious authorities in chapter 20. We have his enigmatic discourses of cataclysmic future events, including the destruction of Jerusalem in chapter 21. And in chapter 22, the net is closing about Jesus as Judas agrees to betray him. And Jesus has his last supper with his 12 disciples in the upper room. You see, Jesus had brought his revolutionary message to Jerusalem. He brought it to the center of power. And Jerusalem was on tenterhooks to see who was going to prevail. Now we know what happened next. We know that Jesus was taken, tried, and executed. And as far as the authorities were concerned, the revolution was over. But as Peter proclaimed to the Jerusalem crowd, Acts 2, 24, God raised him from the dead. And even though Jesus had explicitly told his closest disciples that he would be crucified, buried, and raised on the third day, it's pretty evident from the Gospels that they just didn't get it. So here they are in Luke 22, In the aftermath of the Passover meal, which was the Last Supper, and they're looking for Jesus' revolution to succeed, to usher in a new regime, religious and political, in Jerusalem. So they ask the obvious questions What is going to be our power and influence in the new regime with Jesus as king? What are going to be our rewards? for the trials we have been through over the past three years. Who's going to be in charge of the treasury? The temple? Law and order in Jerusalem? Who's going to be in charge of the army that's going to be needed to keep the Romans at bay? Now, there was some edge to these questions. Over the three years, the strengths and weaknesses of various members of the team have been exposed. And some, like Peter, it emerged as natural leaders and organizers. But the others, some of the others were probably considerably less competent. And so the question was, surely the prestigious positions should go to those who are the best qualified. And so they say, verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Who was best qualified to do some of these important roles? So, yes, there was a competitive edge in the questioning. But the disciples, I think, as they understood the situation, this was a pressing issue. Who was going to do what? Now, look at Jesus' response. First of all, he quickly disabuses them of the notion that they will be like the officials of a Gentile ruler, a model of which, of course, they would have been certainly aware. They would have known how a Gentile court operated. So verses 25 and 26, let me remind you. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Lord it over them. It has the sense of the enjoyment of exercising authority over other people's lives. I guess we've all met that in organizations where we've worked or perhaps in our dealings with government departments. And it's not pretty or comfortable. And call themselves benefactors. That is, insist on public adulation. It's a temptation to which I suspect we're all Uh, subject, but to which politicians are particularly prone. I wonder why the name of Boris Johnson comes to mind. Jesus says, you are not to be like that. Instead, verses 26 and 27, instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. The greatest among you should be the youngest. Of course, in the Near East, even today, little respect is accorded to the young, however much they contribute. And the one who rules must be like one who serves. And the illustration is that of serving at table, a very lowly occupation, and it certainly didn't attract prestige. And the example is Jesus himself, the coming king. I am among you as one who serves. And that came from one who had, according to the account in John's Gospel, performed the most menial task of all, of washing the disciples' feet before the meal. But, Jesus insists, there is an important role for the disciples. 28 and 30, you are those who have stood by me in my trials And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The word confer has the sense of assigning responsibilities. It's a cognate word with the word for covenant, In other words, it's an assignment that reflects a working relationship, not just a job description. In Jesus' kingdom, the disciples were to work as a team under Jesus, and they had responsibilities for the growth and governance of his kingdom, as, of course, is recorded in the rest of the New Testament. And Jesus says their reward is you may eat, and drink at my table. And that, of course, is an image of a royal court with loyal, trusted servants eating at the king's table. The comparison with the parallel passage in Matthew 19, 28 is instructive. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, suggests that this reference to the great feast is to the future when Jesus' kingdom is fully realized. So what are we to make of this passage for us? In the first few sermons in this series, we talked about Jesus' kingdom being announced, and we looked at the parable of the mustard seed. Those small beginnings in Galilee has now grown to an immense community that spans the world, a community that is grounded, however imperfectly, in the teaching of Jesus, a revolutionary community that espouses, however imperfectly, a different way of living. And each one of us is part of that. But it is a community that is founded not on the exercise of power, but on humble, loving service, particularly from those who are its leaders and teachers. Becoming a bishop should, of course, involve great responsibilities and a loss of status. And the archbishop, of course, is at the bottom of the pile. But if Jesus' kingdom is to be fully established on the basis of his manifesto, then there's a lot of work to be done. The number of slots is not thousands, as it was in the preparations for a Romney administration in the States. It is hundreds of millions, if not billions. Remember, Jesus started with the twelve. Some of them, like... Peter and John went on to be very high-profile leaders in uh, the early church. But most of them faded from view and are not mentioned again in the New Testament. But Jesus clearly envisaged a role and responsibility for each one. On Thursday this week in Bristol, we had a service of thanksgiving for the life of Kathleen Lee, the widow of a former vicar of this church. She never held an important position in the church. She was never a speaker at large meetings. She never wrote a book, or even, as far as I know, a magazine article. But she served. She served as a missionary nurse in China, She served with her husband with CMS in Malaysia, and then in a variety of parishes with Arnold in England. And she did things we all can do. She welcomed folk. She shared her house and her fabulous cooking. She visited the sick and the lonely. She encouraged the discouraged. And she always pointed to Jesus, the Jesus she loved and served faithfully through 97 years. She was an extraordinary example of a life of service. You see, Jesus' kingdom needs us all to contribute as servants in the life of his revolutionary community. Some will have high-profile responsibilities, but most will not. But each of us has a vital role in the life of Jesus' kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of being members of your kingdom Help each one of us to offer ourselves in humble, loving service in whatever role best suits the gifts you have given to us. Amen.